We're talking music business with entertainment attorney Owen Sloan on the Music Universe podcast. Owen Sloan. That sounds like like a name out of a Marvel or a DC comic. I love it. <laughs> I'll bet you he's a hero to many bands, too. Oh, he is. I mean, he's represented Elton John, Barry Manilow, Steve Winwood, Chris Daughtry, Stevie Nicks, ABBA, who ironically announced a 40th uh, anniversary album and, uh, you know, virtual concert experience coming soon. Uh, also, Mary Tyler Moore, HBO, Coca-Cola, so many more. So yeah. for obvious reasons, we weren't able to get into um, specifics. specifics about any of any of his clients that he's represented in the past. But we touched on a lot of stuff obviously COVID and how the tests and shutting down and all that is going. And also, yeah, the hot topic right now is the Nirvana lawsuit from the now adult that appears naked on as a baby at four months old on the Nevermind album. Right. It's, you know, those, those kinds of cases are interesting to me. I love, you know, I follow true crime. I watch a lot of legal stuff and it's interesting to me because when somebody buys a piece of work, buys a piece of artwork and and is so short-sighted to sell it for commercial purposes at a small rate, and this has happened time and again and other instances are on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it, but you know, you hear all the time about this super iconic imagery that an artist made going for very for a very small amount of money and as Owen talks about creating that release it's a binding release, and I think he says the the family was paid about $200. Well, then the image became so iconically associated with Nirvana, selling millions and millions of albums. Is $200 really fair, and did the, did the family give their informed consent that this band, I don't know how popular they were at the time that they purchased it, that this band was going to make this album that was going to become so important to their career that maybe $200 isn't fair compensation. So there might be an argument to be made in retrospect to say, hey, that wasn't fair of you to, you know, that is their image. You know, your yeah. brand image is so associated with this person and it's such an important part of this person's life as well. He needs to be fairly compensated for it. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. And Owen touches on that. He'll he'll give his side of of how that mm -hmm. typically works. But uh, you know, Nirvana, sure. that was a lot of people don't realize that Nevermind was their second album. Mm -hmm. So their first album, you know, it, grunge wasn't really a thing yet. The '80s were still big, and then when you know, obviously Nevermind hit, and then Pearl Jam's Tin, and Soundgarden, and all them, just killed that decade like it never even existed, and sure. then you have music the way we have it now, with that iconic album cover, so it's a really interesting topic, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, to follow, and of course, that news is on our website, as it is blasted everywhere, and uh, it'll be interesting, yeah, to, to hear how that happens whenever... They do go to court over it. But uh, other things that we discussed, too, before we get into it, artists selling their catalogs, uh, music talent search shows. You know, we've heard and seen some things recently about the claiming that they're, they've got predetermined winners and that they're overproduced. And another thing that uh, has kind of been a, a topic that isn't really 
known, I guess, is record labels trading number ones. And, yeah. uh, you know, Bobby Bones kind of made headlines uh, recently about talking about that on TikTok. However, he's come back and said, I've discussed it on the air, guys. It's just TikTok's a thing that everybody accesses. And he's got more of a, a fan base there, so to speak, with those types of Q&As. So without further ado, let's get into it with Owen Sloan. Owen Sloan, welcome to the Music Universe podcast. Thanks so much for taking some time out and uh, chatting with us about a variety of topics today. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, well, we uh, definitely have a lot uh, we're going to try to chat about. Uh, you know, first of all, of course, it's uh, COVID. I mean, the world's been flipped upside down and the entertainment industry has been heavily impacted. And, uh, you know, things are getting back underway, or so it seems. And it seems like every day now, an artist, an act, whoever, they're postponing or canceling because they're contracted it or a member of their camp has. Is this the new normal for for concerts and being, you know, not ex necessarily expected to attend them if you're a fan? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, we went through the... Uh, early parts of it and everything got put on hold and there was absolutely no, you know, live activity. And then it seemed to uh, be turning the corner and uh, we were rescheduling uh, dates for the summer, this summer of 2021, you know, way back in uh, last year. And uh, then it started to, um, you know, become bad again. Um, and now with the Delta, all those concerts that were planned for earlier were basically uh, postponed again. And uh, now we're into 2022. Um, and it would have been okay, you know, had we not had the Delta variant, and I guess if more people got vaccinated, uh, we probably could have kept to that, you know, schedule of, you know, fall or winter of, 2021, but it doesn't look like that's going to be possible at this point. What is the legal risk to a promoter or even to an artist specifically if they if they go through with concerts? Because not everything is is being postponed. Some people are trying. Some artists, especially artists who can get away with playing smaller venues, they're soldiering through. Yes. Uh, are they going to face any legal ramifications down the line if people get COVID? Or are they building that into the ticket sales to say, if you come to this show, you assume the risk to your health? Yeah, I've seen those uh, assumption of risks uh, clauses, and they are fairly common. So I think that everybody's aware of the fact that they don't want to be sued and they have to get a clearance uh, in front from people that uh, if they come, they're assuming the risk. So that's very, very common now. The problem is not so much from the audience as it is, you know, from crew and people around the band and other band members, uh, because, you know, they're in closer contact with each other uh, than an audience. And so that's something that uh, is really a problem, uh, more so than the audience. Right. Right, because uh, we spoke with uh, Gene Simmons recently, and he said they weren't meeting with fans at all right now because of the risk of just one person 
contracting it from a fan and said that, you know, that I, I don't know if he was being facetious or being serious, but said if, you know, they had contracted it from a fan, the tour would be canceled and, you know, they everybody would be suing each other. Now, you know, Gene caught it and obviously Paul Stanley had caught it last week and the tour has been postponed. It just sounds like that um, it doesn't matter how what kind of precautions you take because they've said they've all been in bubbles or wearing masks or all vaccinated. That risk is still obviously very high. Yeah, especially with the Delta variant because it's so easily transmittable. And uh, even if uh, you have a vaccinated person who is asymptomatic, it can be transferred from one person to another. So uh, it's highly, highly transferable. And, you know, the best precautions you take are not 100 percent. Right, right, right because of COVID, without getting into specifics, does this make your job a little more difficult? Well, it's it's difficult in a number of ways. Uh, one is that it dried up a major source of income for touring artists. So there has to be some way to try to make that up, mm-hmm. uh, or at least, you know, keep some income coming in. Some people are fortunate if they have publishing deals uh, or they're being, um, you know, uh, compensated for uh, other other things. But the two major sources of income, touring and merchandising, has suffered tremendously. And so, you know, trying to help clients find other sources of income or mine, you know, other possibilities is, is a major problem. And also dealing with, um, you know, constant changes in, in plan. Uh, with regard to, uh, I have clients that have uh, announced and then basically postponed tours three times since you know March of 2020. Each time thinking that it was going to be okay, and then basically not being able to do it. So it's very disruptive. Uh, and of course, obviously, people are afraid that they're going to catch it. You know, the artists, mm-hmm. and worse is pass it on to their children or their spouses um, who are, may be in immune-compromised situations. So you know, it's a very difficult choice to make between, you know, earning a living and basically uh, endangering other people. Right. And to that end, one of the things that artists have, have been starting to do, and it looks like a symptom of not having that touring revenue is they've been selling their their catalogs to these multinational conglomerate corporations almost like you know these these big industries are buying their businesses essentially by overtaking their catalogs can you speak to that trend a little bit and what kind of started it is that is that a response to covid or is that the artists just trying to get the business side of things off of their hands yeah what it it happened way before COVID. It's been sort of an active business of mine and uh, in general in the music business for several years now. Mm-hmm. Um, what basically uh, promoted it was two things. One was the tax treatment of um, you know purchase price, uh, which was very favorable because when an artist sells a catalog, they basically can... Um, 
pay tax as if it were a capital gain. So it was only a 20% as opposed to the normal income rate that you would pay um, on ordinary income. So if you were collecting money from a publishing deal year by year, you were paying ordinary income tax on that. If you sold it, you were paying basically 20%, which is you know way lower. The other thing that spurred it on was that there was a lot of money uh, in these funds that you know was essentially uh, you know investment funds who were searching for these kind of assets, which they learned were fairly safe and fairly steady uh, income sources. And uh, what happened was there was a lot of them chasing not a lot of assets. So basically it was a very competitive and is a competitive business. And that makes for very favorable deals for people selling their their catalogs. And what happens in a sale is you basically get a multiple of a year's worth of earnings. So if you're, let's say for example, earning a half a million dollars a year in royalties, Uh, you make a deal to sell that, you're basically getting anywhere from 15 or maybe sometimes a little bit less up to 20, 25 uh, times multiple all all at once. Mm. So it makes it very, uh, you know, enticing to somebody to do that. Well, what happens... uh after you know x amount of years do do they just kind of they don't make anything after that then right well it, no it, it, they make nothing unless they retain an interest a lot of people don't sell 100% they sell you know 70% or 75% so they retain a a percentage which uh they continue to reap you know for the as long as the copyright lasts but if you sell 100% of it you get nothing Except yeah. the I'm not sure if there's a corollary here, just because I'm not that versed on this side of the business of it. Is it also a response to streaming cutting into those profits that they want to get out and get the money before it's pennies on the dollars in terms of royalties? Well, the streaming is increasing. Uh, and as it um, expands uh, worldwide, people are quite optimistic that the income is going to uh, increase exponentially by virtue of the increased streams and by pressure as well to pay more uh, per stream. So I don't know that that's necessarily motivating it. I think it's more uh, what I said before, which is uh, the multiple and the tax treatment um, than it is, you know, uh, worrying about a decline. But it's also, you know, older people too who um, would rather have a big lump sum in cash taxed at a favorable rate than to be paid over you know the years because if you're you know a band from the 70s or 80s and all that you're in your 60s or 70s um you might as well take the much as you can get in a lump sum rather than have it parceled out over years mm-hmm and, and how does a company, uh, you know, these investors, how do they, uh, 
how do they favor in this? Because I would think that's a lot of risk on, and especially in today's music world. I know you said, you know, streaming's increasing, but surely to recoup those costs would take possibly quite a while. Well, if they pay a 20 times multiple, they're figuring basically that they'll uh, recoup in 20 years because they're basing it on a fairly steady income uh, per year uh, for an average number of years prior to the sale. So um, at recouping it in 20 years means you're basically making like a 5% you know, return um, which is not that which is not that bad. Mm-hmm. But in the music business, you never know if you buy, let's say, a copyright, um, you could get a major sync usage, for example, or a cover recording that all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, uh, is worth substantial monies that reduces the risk. So, you know, it's not a bad risk, even if it took that long. But they're also counting on being able to exploit and get other usages that would make the recoupment period shorter. Sure. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that clears that up. Sure. Now, I want to talk about, we want to talk about one particular case with you. I know you're not representing any of the parties involved, but this case was uh, just in the news recently. Uh, Right after we decided uh, you agreed to let us interview you, this kind of blew up. The Nirvana album. Buddy, what's the title of the album? Uh, Nevermind. Nevermind, yes. Uh, never mind my question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the, <laughs> the, uh, the Nevermind album with the iconic uh, baby image, naked baby, everything on display, um, reaching for the dollar underwater, uh, a statement on capitalism, now I know the law does not, for purposes of you know taking home videos and 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 um, home pictures of of children in their youth, the law does not consider photographs of naked babies to be exploitative uh, content. But in this lawsuit, the gentleman who uh, was the baby is alleging exploitation that the photo was pornographic. Keep in mind. For on at least a couple of occasions, he recreated the photo as an adult in his 20s and 30s. What what do you see as the motivating factor behind this lawsuit now? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, the cynical view is he wants money. Mm -hmm. It's hard to see what else other than to eliminate an embarrassing uh, situation for, you know, as an adult. Mm -hmm. But since he basically, you know, uh, lived with this for so long and has been, you know, over 18 or over 21 for a good number of years, and this just came up, it's hard to imagine that that is the major motivation. But I I can't really tell you what motivates it uh, at this point, other than I know that he wants to have the picture, you know, photoshopped. Um, and I guess he wants some payment of some sort. I guess his, he, he alleges, we'll say he alleges that his parents were not properly compensated for the, for the use of his image. And it seems like more and more in this digital age, we're running up against that, that people's images, intellectual properties have been used, and they're going back and saying, wait a minute, 
wasn't right that this person wasn't compensated. So yes, the cynical view is he just wants the money, but perhaps there is an argument there that he was not compensated proper. His family, his estate, was not compensated properly for it going back a number of years when it was released. Yeah, but you know, the parents are uh, have the right to contract on behalf of a child. Right. Uh, and the child has no rights. Sure. Um, and they were paid, I think they were paid $200 or something for the image. Um, and, you know, that's a perfectly valid binding release. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you and I entered into a deal like that as being, you know, uh, over the age of 18 and able to enter into a contract and I accepted $200 for release and what I released became iconic and uh, that's basically I made a bad deal but it doesn't mean it's not binding Mm -hmm. and I don't see that the fact that the parents made the deal changes it because they have the right to uh, contract on behalf of a minor Right. And for something like this, I mean, you know, that picture being so iconic and just so out there, how in the world they get by with that? Well, I don't know whether it's pornographic. I mean, I'm not an expert in that field, and I don't know what that necessarily means in terms of, uh, you know, the lawsuit. Um, But as you said, you know, normally... People don't attribute, you know, sexual um, implications to, you know, uh, a child uh, that's not in a sexual context. And there's a test, I think, you know, for several different um, uh, criteria for determining whether it's child pornography or not. And I think the the plaintiffs are trying to bring it into those um categories, but I think it's stretching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It certainly seems like it a, a stretch. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I know you're more of a, uh, a rock guy, but uh, in the country realm, Bobby Bones, obviously the, the number one DJ, he, uh, he made some comments uh, recently that uh, actually he had he went on record saying he's made these comments on the air quite a bit, but because he went on TikTok and TikTok is what it is this right now, that it's drawing some controversy about how labels typically uh, pay for number one hits, at least in the country field. Is that something that's always been done or something that you're familiar with? And I guess on all, all levels, is that just the way the business has always worked and anything? I guess there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to clarify what Bay said, that they're trading off that one label will say, I'll give you this number one on this date if you give me this number one on this date. And it it's become rather inorganic, in a sense. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this particular dispute or this particular case. And I personally have never experienced um, that kind of, uh, you know, trade-offs. Although I wouldn't be surprised if it at some point happened. But I've never seen it or heard of it or been involved in it. Well, it just seems like we've entered an era now where everything is predetermined, pre-produced. I've known for a while, and some other people, again, are alleging on social media, that shows like America's Got Talent, you know, talent shows, 
are already predetermined. Uh, but back in the day when they first started, they weren't. But now they've made them more like produced reality shows rather than legitimate competition shows. Have you seen anything with that in terms of your clients, if you can speak to that? These contracts for these reality shows, these talent reality shows, just being kind of phony? Uh, the ones I've seen have all been legitimate. Okay. Um, and actually, uh, I mean, they're very comprehensive in the sense that the um, show is acquiring a lot of rights beyond, you know, television uh, in terms of the artist's career, uh, recording, uh, publishing, um, also touring. But they've all been, the ones I've been involved in were all legitimate contracts. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, it's... That's good to hear. This is an interesting world. Uh, COVID has certainly upended everything. Uh, the, the entertainment business is evolving to adapt with it. Do you? Uh, last question for you, unless, buddy, you had anything else, but my last question for you is, do you see us on the business end getting back to normal, but to touring and recording to a, to a pre-pandemic way of the industry conducting business? You know, that's a really tough question because... You know, it's obvious if you had asked me, you know, like uh, last year, I would have said yes. Um, but with what's happened with the Delta variant and with the politicization of all this vaccination, uh, you know, the issues involved in that and the resurgence, I'm, I'm, I can't really answer that. I can't predict it. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I hope so for everyone's sake. Um, but and maybe eventually it will go back to normal. But I, I don't have a crystal ball, and it worries me because I thought it was over before, and it wasn't. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I I can say that I had a um, I have a friend in uh, Bakersfield who was supposed to go to uh, a Megadeth show um, this week in, at the Forum, I believe, in L.A. and um, he wasn't vaccinated and he didn't have time to get a test because he said they, he just found out that they had just changed the requirements to attend the show. I guess it's something that we're just going to have to just be on top of. If we're planning to go to a show, we need to get all the facts straight. But I, I would assume people that can't attend those shows because of that stuff, that a refund would be in order. Is that something you could speak of? Yeah, I, you know, it, uh, it obviously would depend upon what the, um, you know, the policy and what the contract, so far as the ticket is concerned. A lot of um, those shows that got canceled, the money wasn't returned, but was held and then, you know, waited to be uh, applied toward, you know, a new show. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the rights of the person who bought a ticket would be to a refund. Um, and I, it's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to it though. Right. Yeah. Well, it just, it just tells you how, how quick everything's changing, you know, for the better, for the worst or whatever it may be. And I think as we also have tickets to upcoming shows that we all have to just kind of, be on alert and know what uh, what those policies are 
perhaps before we buy them, but definitely when, before we get going there that we either have to have a test or have to prove vaccinations so that way you're not kind of hung out to dry there. Exactly. And I suppose if you know enough in advance, you can resell a ticket, assuming you're allowed to. Mm-hmm. Matt, do you have anything else? Owen, if, if he doesn't, I mean, do you have anything else you'd like to add or discuss before we wrap? No, that was great. We touched on a lot of things. Thank you so much, Owen. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm happy to do it. And uh, it was very interesting. I think you hit on a lot of, you know, interesting uh, current topics, uh, unfortunately, most of which you don't have a definitive answer for. Neither do I. Sure. Uh, We'll just have to wait and see. Exactly. All right. Stick around if you want to hear a little bit more specifics, because one has been sticking out in my head as to why this was so timely. And it's that, you know, our litmus test with tours has been Garth Brooks, and he's shut down for the rest of the year, hoping to finish it out next year. But his dive bar shows are continuing to go on. Now, with the dive bar tour, they are free. The radio stations are running them. The venues are sizable. You probably get two or 3,000 people at a dive bar show. Um, but they so limit it, it to less than that, typically. Right. So, they're, But they're limited audiences, and they're going to require proof of vaccination for those. I think the reason he canceled the tour is he saw which way the winds are blowing, and we talked about this in the interviews you just heard, which now artists and promoters are requiring vaccinations or negative tests in order to get in the venue. I'll bet you Garth saw that swinging that way and didn't want to require that of his fans because that's getting political in a way he doesn't want to get political. Now, you might ask, well, how can he require it for dive bar but not want to worry about it for the tour, for the stadium tour? Think about that. That is 60 to 90,000 people, and in some instances, close to 100,000 people in a venue. Um, Plus, it sounds like he's just not been enjoying the stadium tour. uh, (laughs) logistically in the way uh in the way he enjoyed the arena tours mm-hmm. uh, just because there's these big behemoths where weather's an issue but back to covid think about this okay there's a large swath of the population that has gotten vaccinated and then there's a large swath of the population that hasn't gotten vaccinated and of that section of the population that isn't vaccinated people have many reasons for not getting vaccinated whether they're skeptical and I'm, again, we're not going to get into whether they should or shouldn't be. I'm just listing reasons. Yeah. Whether they're skeptical. No judgment. No judgment. Whether there's children involved who can't get the, who it's not been approved to get the, been approved for yet. Whether there's uh, health reasons that they can't have something that's in the vaccine. That there's a swath of the population that does not have it yet, and a, a subset that just can't get it for whatever reason. So. Imagine being a ticket holder. Let's use the Cincinnati show that is now canceled as as an as a as an example. You you buy your ticket and then you're told you can't you're not allowed to go. That is that is how that gets political. If you don't like it for a free show where you're getting a free 70 minute Garth concert where he just rams through the hits and then leaves, okay, that's your own problem. You know mm-hmm. the rules. It's a free ticket. If you've paid for something, you're entitled to, you could make the legal argument that you're entitled to go because you purchased it when the terms of service weren't different. 
right? right? Like you were talking about that refund with the Megadeth concert. Can he get a refund because he doesn't qualify for the new terms? I don't think Garth wants to deal with that kind of bullshit, quite frankly. Right. Um, and I think it makes it more political. Hey, I bought this. You can't say no, none vaccinated. Free concert. And, and with the free concerts, he has a scapegoat, too. He could say it's the radio station or it's the venue. They're letting us come in and do this with a tour where he's where his Ben, uh, where that gentleman, Ben, who's been promoting him for years, uh, is the promoter and they kind of run the show. It gets a little too much more political. So I say mm -hmm. back when I had a, a leg surgery, I, I would have I was in a cast and then I was in a boot and then I was in physical therapy. And then throughout all of that, I was in and out of a wheelchair uh, just to be eased ease up on my leg. I'm going somewhere with this. And the teacher said, hey, you were doing your therapy. What do you, why are you back in a wheelchair? I said, ah, they removed the boot and they want me to take it easy for a little bit. I said, square one, different room. So we're back to square one with all this COVID stuff, but I think we're in a different room now. Shows can happen. Things can go on. But uh, as Garth said, and as many other people have said, the path out of this is not linear. So right. we just have to be patient with it. And you know, I was sitting here thinking, oh, maybe the fact that he had to cancel the tour took away the specialness of Vegas. Uh, no, it didn't. Vegas mm -hmm. was still able to happen. Nobody got highly transmitted. Nobody was highly transmitted COVID uh, that we read about. So it's it's there wasn't high transmission rates. So he can he can check off some successes and come back to this later this year, or early next year and be all the more prepared for it. Absolutely. And if you're if you've read a lot about the different, um, you know, controversies around, you know, Lollapalooza and all these places that are actually still holding these festivals and stuff, the transmission rates tend to be low amongst yeah. the fans. It's the bands and the crew that are typically seems like they're catching it. And I don't know about everybody else, but a lot of people at this point are still not doing meet and greets. Um, sure. So I think that says a lot that you can kind of like I said during the interview, you can take every precaution necessary, but the risk is still going to be there, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing you just got to, I guess, be considerate of and know that, you know, these artists don't want to have to cancel these shows day of or sure. at any point. But if they're doing it, there's obviously a reason they're doing it and we just have to kind of go with it so it does suck at this point because you actually were trying to convince me to come to baltimore for that garth show and guess who would have already had a plane ticket booked for that me yeah but you could have done a COVID cancellation i don't want to hear it i well, do okay, not want to hear it okay but not everybody <laughs> is able necessarily to do that is what i'm saying right. so there's a lot that goes into it and when you look at the the Nashville show that got rained out that had nothing to do with COVID all yeah. those people that had traveled and you feel for them because they mm -hmm. weren't expecting it. They traveled somewhere, you know, 10, 12 hours or more by car. And what I love to see about this and, stuff. and this is, and this is why we use Garth as our litmus test, not only because he's a great artist, his fans are great. Nobody was mad at Garth. Nobody said, fuck you, Garth. I wish you would have just come on and right. did it at midnight. And blah, 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 blah. Everybody was like, oh, my God, we understand. Yeah, let's stay safe. So Garth is a quality artist for us to follow because his fans aren't shitheads. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, they're not right. And right. he, you know, 
he even said on you know his Facebook Live series that you know he kept waiting around like, hey, are we going to be able to do this? And they, they had to call it because the rain just the rain's one thing, but lightning and thunder never stopped. And obviously, right. you can't get out there and perform. You know, it's even dangerous for people to perform barefoot on those stages. So let alone when there's lightning and all that going on. So to have to do this, I mean, you know, we're we're all still in this together very much so and as the fall now is starting to descend upon us and the flu's coming and the symptoms are so much the same across the board for a lot of things it's it's very scary very very scary and it just it sucks for sure and sometimes unfortunately they're just not able to reschedule and that's why garth didn't want to hold people's money any longer because like he said the tour's ending next August or September, no matter what. So that leaves roughly eight months if you start in yeah. uh, March, because, you know, obviously weather's a big factor in January and February for these open air stadiums. So you're looking at a very hefty 22 getting booked already by pushing shows back that have been on the books for two years already. And the irony of this, the irony of this is that he did the stadiums so that it wouldn't be such a heavy lift and he could do only a couple a year, but then everything, uh, every only like 10 a year, but then everything. And you know he'll crank out as many cities as he can. So, yeah. But we could sit and yeah. talk Garth all day. Uh, that is it for us for the Music Universe podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Buddy. Be sure to keep checking out themusicuniverse.com for the latest news, reviews, and release info. And hit that subscribe button at tmupod.com and on socials. Take care. Uh-huh.